0: We begin this morning our, our Advent series. Our series will take us through Christmas. Advent is that time in the church calendar that uh, we begin first with just the, the creating and remembering the longing we have for the coming of Christ. The, the pain and the suffering and the brokenness of the world around us. And our need for Him. And as we get closer and closer to Christmas, we, we build that expectation that exuberance, that joy that comes on that Christmas morning with Jesus' birth. And this Advent series is going to be shaped around this quote from C.S. Lewis's final book in his Chronicle of Narnia series, if you're familiar with it. Um, there's a, a scene in the book, there's a stable that's kind of like a portal to another world, and they make the comment as they go into the stable, wow, it's, it's bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside. And Lucy, who's now no longer the little girl that she was when the series started, says, and you can see it on the front of your bulletin and the cover art, a stable, what's had something in it that was bigger than our whole world? And she's referring to that Christmas morning, that little baby that was born. That Christmas is bigger than our whole world. And each week we're going to take a a dive into Jesus came and, you know, fill in the blank each week. I'm not going to ruin it for you. You've got to come back and hear, you know, all of them. But this week it's Jesus came to draw near to us. Christmas is bigger than our whole world because the God of creation came to draw near to us. And we're going to kick off this, this Advent series with everyone's favorite Advent passage. It's mine. I'm sure it's yours. You just didn't know it yet. And so, if you are willing and able, would you stand as we turn to God's word and read from 1 Kings chapter 8 this morning? But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be opened night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer of your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for His glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to Your word. And we ask that You would bless the reading and preaching of it. And that You would use it this morning to strengthen our faith. That You would use it this morning to convict us And to make the cross more beautiful before us. Pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Can be seated. So, before we get into the passage, we we need to understand a little bit about what's happening in, in 1 Kings. If you've ever read through 1 Kings and you get to chapter 8, you, you get pretty excited because you're finally done with the details. Right? Verses, uh, chapter 6 and 7, they are um, all about the details of building this temple. 6 is, you know, how many cubits long and tall and how many walls. And, and then chapter 7 is all about interior decorating. And I mean, God could have his own show on HGTV because he cares about where that candle placed. What kind of curtains are going up? And you get to 8, and 8 is all about the dedication and the celebration. The temple is complete. And where we're at in chapter 8 is in the prayer of dedication. And what, what happens in chapter 8 in Solomon's writing is that there's these couplets, these, these things that, that he joins together that don't make a lot of sense. And we're going to look at one of those couplets today, the, the, the immensity of God, and yet the the intimacy of God. The immensity of God and the intimacy of God. I really wanted it to be a three-point sermon like a good Presbyterian, but I couldn't make it work. So you get two, I'm sorry. But it's the immensity. How big our God is. He starts this off right in, in verse 27, showing us God is bigger than our imaginations. Behold, will God indeed dwell on earth Heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house I have built. Solomon's wrestling with this idea that he's been told to build this temple, and yet he knows that God's bigger than the whole world. Bigger than his creation, bigger than his universe. He, he's already uh, prayed at the very beginning, God, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below there's none like you, God. And you're really going to live here? You're going to dwell here on earth? If you've got your, your bullets and you can look at the kids version, it's like, will God really live here? You're, you're so big and I've built you a teeny tiny house. There's a, a movie, uh, Ben Stiller's in it. It's a, it was like a cult classic, I think, when I was probably in college called Zoolander. And there's this scene, I feel like Solomon's wrestling with the same thing. And Derek has, has retired from being a male model and, and the big fashion world guy wants him to come back and be a part of his team because he's an evil guy and he wants to use Ben Siller for evil means. But he's luring Derek Zoolander back by fulfilling his dream of building a center for kids who can't read good. And there's this scene where he shows Derek the center and the architect has come up with this beautiful design. It looks like a book on top for the roof. And, but it's a model. Like you see when somebody's about to build something, and it's really intricate. And Derek gets down, and he's looking at the table, and you can see this look of confusion on his face. And finally he just throws it off the table and says, what is this, a center for ants? <laughs> and, and the evil guy tries to explain it's a model, but before he can get it out of his, his mouth, Derek says, I don't want any excuses. It needs to be three times bigger than this. But he's wondering, I mean, he he, he can't put together the fact that this is a model. It's not meant to really hold the children. And God has promised that his presence is going to dwell in this temple. But I feel like Solomon's looking at the temple going five cubits by 50 cubits by. How's the, the God of creation who spoke all of this into being going to fit in this little tiny house? You know, Aladdin, that scene where the, the genie pops out of the lamp, and he's like, all that cosmic power, it's a teeny tiny little space. That's, what, that's what's going on. For, for my, my, my daughters, it's, it's reading books about Emily Elizabeth and her pet. Clifford the big red dog. I mean, he's so big, he can't fit in her house. They have to build Clifford his own like, dog mansion out back. Solomon is wrestling with, God, you say you're going to dwell here. You say you're going to live here. You say you're going to be with us. Yet I know that even the highest heavens can't contain you. He's proclaiming the the uncontainability, the unboxability of God. And we like to put God in a box with a nice little bow on top this time of year, right? To pull him out and unwrap him when we need him. And to put him back in and put him back in the closet when we don't. And Solomon's proclaiming, we, we can't contain him. When we begin to think we understand him, when we, we begin to think we can control him, we're really only wrestling with like one little speck of sand. When, when our imaginations we think are big enough, they haven't even begun to touch the immensity of our God. And so he, he, he says not only that he's bigger than our imagination, but that he's bigger than our, our needs, our problems. Verses 28 to, to 30, he, he says, okay, you're, you're huge, God. You're big, yet listen. Listen to the cry of your people. Listen to the pleas that I'm praying before you. Listen to the prayers of your servant. Listen to the prayers of your people of Israel. He, he knows that this God is big enough and strong enough and powerful enough to handle their problems. You, know, you, you don't go running and pleading to someone who can't do something for you. Halloween this year, I got to introduce Hatley Grace to my favorite Halloween movie. It's a movie that that many of you will know just by a few words from a song that's in it. There's something strange in the neighborhood. (laughs) Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Why are you going to call the Ghostbusters? Because they can handle the strange thing in the neighborhood. Why is he crying out to God? Why is he pleading with God? Why is he before God with his prayers? Because he knows God can handle the things he's coming and pleading before him. He knows God is big enough and powerful enough to answer those needs. How does he end it? He he ends it with those words, forgive. In ESV, it's, it's simply forgive. forgive not only is he big enough to handle the the suffering and the pain and the strife he's big enough to handle our sin you know we, we've been living for what feels like three thousand months of pandemic with hopefully end in sight you know all this good news about there's vaccines coming and but we're, we're still entering into a season where we're seeing spikes and just Yet, probably for most of us, the worst thing that's happened this year isn't the pandemic. It's exacerbated a lot of things. It's made a lot of things more difficult, but things were difficult before this. You had pain and struggle, you had family problems and relational difficulties, you had work that was unfulfilling all before this came. And, and what Solomon's pleading and crying out is that God is big enough for those things. He's big enough for those things. And he's big enough for our sin. Solomon is, in praying this, ringing true the words of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Solomon, all of his life, and the people of Israel have been like clockwork in this system of sacrifice, the spilling of the blood of animals. And yet, Hebrews tells us that it's impossible for that blood to take away sins. Solomon knows it takes the mercy and the grace of God alone. He, he's looking forward to something that we look back on now. Knowing that God is big enough to take care of it. And, and we, we struggle with this. Because we all have some little part of life where we have cordoned it off from God's grace. Because we don't think God's big enough to take care of it. We don't think God can actually forgive it. We've we got to clean it up and, and, and wash it and get rid of it before we, we, we turn over everything else to Him. And I don't know what it might, might be in your life. Maybe it's a struggle, struggle with addiction. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe when you were younger, you ended a pregnancy. You see, we, we have these things that we don't talk about, that we don't let other people into. And We don't even let God in because we don't think He's big enough. Will you really live here? The highest heavens can't contain you. Forgive us. Hear us. See, there's an immensity about our God. But just because He's big, that doesn't divorce the fact that He's an intimate God. It should just give it goosebumps that this God of all creation wants to be in relationship with you. That Jesus drew... That Jesus came to draw near to us. We, we see this uh, intimacy with Him in a few ways in this passage. First, we see in the, His promise to dwell. To dwell in this temple, this house that has been built. And he gave all of these instructions to build it and, and we see Solomon says, you promised your name will be there. And a name is a really big deal. It's like the equivalent of you getting a pet name from someone. You, you know that, that you're close in, 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 in some sort of relationship with someone when someone gives you a pet name and you're okay with it. And not like a fun pet name like they call you, you know, like growing up and you're on a sports team and they call you by your last name. I'm talking like one that you are kind of embarrassed by. Like I have friends that for some reason started to call me Sweet Pea. I don't know Why? And for a while I was just I was angry. Every time one of them would say what I want to punch him in the face. And now 22 years later, 25 years later, however long it's been, I pick up the phone and it's one of them and they started off with hey sweet pea and it's 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 warming. There's something about a name in that way to us. That that shows a level of relationship and intimacy. For the people of the ancient Near East to to know the name of a God, to possess the name of a God, meant that you had a relationship with that God. That that God was yours and you were theirs. And so he's built this dwelling place and he's promised what? That his name will be there. He's promised intimacy and relationship with God's people. The temple in, in, in some ways acts As a sacrament, as a sign and a seal to God's people of his relationship with them. But what's the thing about his presence in the temple? I'm sure for them it was a really big deal, but they only got to go in before his presence once a year. And only one of them with a rope tied around his ankle and a bell so they know if he died they could pull him out. I mean, think about it. if you forgot to tie the knight tight enough and, and he went into the Most Holy of Holies and died and you had to wait a year to go get him. His name will dwell there. But you see, on Christmas morning, some 2,000 years ago, God's presence came in its fullness. in Jesus... And His name just doesn't dwell there. His name becomes the name that will be above every name. See, when we begin to understand this passage in the Old Testament, the incarnation isn't a surprise. It's how God's been doing things all along. His desire to be near His people. His desire to to be in relationship with His people. Comes to its fullness. And that little baby... Those fully God and fully man come to dwell among men. There's a picture of intimacy in the expectancy of Solomon's prayer. Solomon expects something. From verses 28 to 30, five times the Hebrew word for hear or listen, Sema, is used by Solomon. What's he saying? L- listen, hey, Daddy, listen. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I'm interrupting you, I know. Um, my children do it all the time. They have an expectation because they're my children that I will hear their words. If you've been a parent or a grandparent or you've been around kids, you know, you know how it is. Like, you, you feel that little tug on your pants leg when they're too little to catch your eye, and you look down and they're right there and they're going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, and you're like, shh, talking. And they just keep going until you what? They have an expectation that you're going to listen. And they have an expectation that you're going to do something. Not just listen, but, but do something. Fix whatever's broken or right whatever wrong has been done or, you know, build some crazy thing they ask you to build, like you know, they tug on you and they're like, hey, will you, will you come build a rocket ship to the moon with me? It's like, no, no, like that, well, that's death waiting to happen. I'm not a rocket scientist. And like you think they want to be make-believe, no, like they're like, let's go outside and build a rocket ship. You're like, no, no, that's a bad idea. Let's watch one on YouTube. But there's an expectation in his words that God will listen, that God will hear, and that God will act. Jesus coming to that little manger, to that little stable in Bethlehem town is God hearing, God listening, and God acting. There's an intimacy and a knowledge, a knowledge of us a knowledge of you and I. Because it's not just that he wants him to listen. He wants him to have his eyes open. And to watch. Day and night. You know, I have a. I'm sure you do too like a list of your favorite Christmas songs. And then like some of your maybe your least favorite Christmas songs. Um. One of my least favorite Christmas songs, and, and some of you might not like me for this, is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Because every time it comes on, I have to turn to my daughters and remind them that Santa Claus does not know if they've been naughty or nice. He doesn't. He doesn't know if they're awake or they're sleeping. You know, The, 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 the song seems to implicate that if you're not good for goodness sake, That he's not coming. And we look at them and say, no, like we we love you. You're going to get gifts from us whether you're good or bad. Our love towards our girls is not predicated on their behavior. And there's only one who knows if they've been naughty or nice. There's only one who knows if they're awake or if they're sleeping. It's the God who watches day and night. And so that song, just, every time it comes on, I'm like, oh, I've got to go explain this to the girls again. <laughs> and it's not just that he knows us by watching. He, Hebrews tells us that, that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our sufferings, who's been tempted yet without sin. You know, it's not just that he's big enough to take care of our needs, our struggles, our pains, and our sorrows. It's that He knows them. He he knows family strife. He knows struggle. He knows suffering. He knows betrayal and treachery. He knows sacrifice. He came and dwelt among us that He might know us that he might draw near to us in those times of pain and struggle he knows you he knows me and he knows our sin and i said he's big enough to take care of our sin and i said but there's parts that we sometimes like cordon off and we don't let him in he already knows it he already knows it he who knew no sin became sin He became your sin on that cross. So that 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 place that you think he's not big enough to forgive, he bore it on Calvary. It became who he was, that it might die. See, we, we, we struggle with this bigness of God and intimacy of God because we see the bigness of God and the righteousness of God and the holiness of God and we think God's wrath is just waiting around the corner for me if I mess up. And the other side of it is we got God's intimacy and there's no wrath, it's just God's loving and kind and fluffy and beautiful and like a big teddy bear just wants to hug all the time. And those are two extremes, I get it, but somewhere between those we vacillate from day to day. And in the person of Christ, those two people are married together. The justice of God, the righteousness of God, and the mercy and grace of God. See, this this prayer, the theology it's teaching us is that these two things aren't at odds with one another. But that the the immensity of our God is should give the intimacy of our God goosebumps. That that 2,000 years ago at a manger in Bethlehem town, a baby was born who the fullness of God dwelt in. That God might draw near to us. That, That God might stoop down to inhabit and dwell and walk and know and forgive. Christmas is bigger than our whole world because Jesus came to draw near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing that You know our pain, that You know our suffering, that You know our sin, and that You are big enough, that You are strong enough To do something about it. Let me rejoice that you have. And then that stable and that little baby began the journey of you calling us into relationship, you reconciling your people to yourself through the blood of Christ who came that you might draw near to us. We pray this in his name. Amen.